Welcome to the Sojourn Midweek Checkup. My name is Bobby Gillis. This past Sunday, we learned from Matthew 21 in our Family Values series. We affirmed that we pledge allegiance to a modest Messiah who fills our lives with purpose as we bear witness to his kingdom. I'm joined by Michael Miller, Lindsay Blair, and Jasmine Trail Oliver for a conversation about the sermon. And let me start off by saying uh, this is a little bit weird for me because I was the preacher this Sunday and we haven't done this show when I was preaching before. Some of the things that I hope people will think about, talk about, and wrestle with this week are, of course, how can you participate in Affordable Christmas? Beyond that, ask questions like, what does this text reveal about Jesus' value system? What kind of people does he help and what kind of people are praising him? What kind of people does he oppose and what kind of people are opposing him? And then what kind of people are we? Who are we like? Do we have a heart for the people that Jesus has a heart for? Do we have a need to be accepted and affirmed by the kind of people who were enemies of Jesus? These are good questions to ask this week. So anyway, I'm interested to, to, to see what you all thought of the, the, the text, famous, famous story. Um, anything pop out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I shared this with you uh, after that, but that was probably the most, if probably the most like powerful experience that I've had in a sermon, um, the part where you took the, the him, like him tearing up the, the outer room and then comparing it to our lobby and, and like our setup, our books, our coffee and all of those things. Like, uh, yeah, I've, I've never kind of been just been just, you just shattered everything that was going on. Like, cause I was like, man, I participate in that stuff. I'm like, what does this mean about me interacting in that? And, and then, um, yeah, man, like I'm, I'm still, I'm still working through that, honestly. Yeah. Uh, there's not a whole lot more I can really say past that other than that was just a, a real, a real moment for me. That one that I'll, I will always remember like in a sermon. Mm. One of the, um, one of my preaching role models was not a preacher. He was my 11th grade U.S. history teacher, Mr. Berg. Um, he's been, he passed away quite a while ago, but there's still like so many kids that went through his class. Some of us on Facebook, we still talk about Mr. Berg. He was really influential yeah. in all of our lives. And so I try to preach a little bit like Mr. Berg taught. Um, the historical grammatical setting of a Bible passage is very important. Knowing what came before is important. Um, don't get me wrong, a plain reading of the text is enough for you to basically understand what's going on. Um, when Jesus says, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves, that's basically it. But it really helps to know that he was partially quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7, and that the full passage there says, house of prayer for all nations. And the money changers and animals were set up in the court of the Gentiles, which wasn't in the building plans that David gave to Solomon for the original temple. That was Herod's thing. 
And it really helps to know all that because then we can ask ourselves, how are we unintentionally keeping people in the court of Gentiles, so to speak? Um, and that's as a church, like at Sojourn, and that's like in our, in our daily lives, like how do I do things or say things um, or react to people in such a way that it's sort of keeping them out, keeping them from potentially experiencing life with God or just knowing what the kingdom's like just by my insensitivity. I think that's important because I think that sometimes we do that and we're not even aware. We don't even have an awareness of how we're functioning or how we're interacting with people. And I think it's good just to take a step back and, and to ask that question, you know, like, am I interacting with people in a way that is showing love and, and showing what I believe about who they are, that they are created in the image of God. Um, so as how, as how I'm treating and interacting with people, a reflection of what I believe about who they are, who God made them to be and how God sees them. I mean, that's a really good question to ask and just um, be thinking about yeah, I think one of the phrases you quoted or said was holding people at arm's length, yeah. somewhere here in my notes. Um, and like, it's, it's really easy to know when you are wanted and loved and needed in a place. And so that got me thinking of, well, it's easy to know when you're not too, of like the people who don't say hi to you or unanswered texts or calls or someone says they're going to be there for you and they're not um or people forget to invite you to things like we all know how these things feel like you know when someone's turning the cold shoulder to you yeah and like i've i can even point out areas in my life where i've done that to, to other christians and non-christians and so um that's that's something i got caught up on of like okay that that's what it would be like to set someone in the outer court and how am I doing that? Um, so I, I appreciated that piece. Bobby, you, you brought up that quote from um, Esau Macaulay. Uh -huh. And um, that really struck me and just kind of piggybacking off of what Jasmine's saying and just how we interact with people and just, you know, how are we treating people? And I think in that quote, um, you said there's two ways that we dehumanize people. One was that we just treat the poor as mere bodies that just need food and kind of disconnect the spiritual from the physical needs. And then the second way was we view them as people whose experience of the here and now should not trouble us. And we just spiritualize that. And I think that really struck me. So I think we tend to tend to like move towards one or the other like we want to over spiritualize and say well they just need jesus and i'll just pray that they find jesus or you know we toss somebody some money or and and just leave it at that when really they need you know they need both we we all need both we all need our physical needs met and our spiritual needs like we need both and i thought that that was just a really impactful quote for me just to be thinking about just even little ways that maybe I'm not even realizing that maybe I, that I dehumanize people by moving towards one end of that spectrum a little more than the other. Mm. Yeah. That was really convicting. I've, I looked up that quote cause I didn't catch it in the sermon and Blake and I were still watching it. So I just Googled it and I, I caught the, the intro into it also. So it was 
the wealthy in as much as they participate in and adopt the values of a society that dehumanizes people, find themselves opposing the reign of God. And this dehumanization can take two forms. And then it comes to those two forms that, that you just described of like seeing just the body that needs food and then seeing just the spirit that needs spiritual nourishment. Like, I agree. Like for me, it's a lot easier to do the meal trains. It's a lot easier to um, like here, take, take food, take clothing, take, take what you need. But it's a lot harder for me for the spiritual because I'm, I'm a really intellectual Christian. Mm -hmm. So the the physical and the the reasoning is is the easy part for me like I, I could hand someone bread and be like yes please eat but then to extend it a little further like so how's your spirit right right let me tell you about the transformational love of god of like because i don't exactly have a mm. well i think that's wow a story it, mm -hmm. it, it's a kind of a in a way that's okay like that's the wonder of like being a part of a body of, of believers, right? Some of us maybe have an easier time or be more drawn to one or the other, but if we're all like kind of in this together, um, then I don't know, love covers a multitude of sins and love covers a multitude of shortcomings. Uh, is that, if we can say it that way. Um, I do think it's always good for us to, to stretch and grow um, because, you know, so, like I really think it's, it's, it's weird to me that some of the people, some of the theologians that are the most into talking about, like, we have to take the Bible seriously are also the ones that tend to spiritualize everything. And it's like, you're just, mm -hmm. this really, you know, this was a historical thing that happened. Like this actually happened, like um, in the gospel of Matthew, this, this, like there are people that were really and literally hungry that Jesus fed. And when we treat it as like some some allegory, then that's that's not taking the Bible seriously. You know, I think the Bible and Jesus himself, his ministry is meant to be understood on multiple levels. And some of us naturally get one more than the other. Um, and we still we need to grow and kind of press into like all that God has for us. But I also think it's great that if you've got a group of even the four of us, you know, like we each maybe have different strengths and weaknesses. And so when we're working together. And we're not like kind of opposing each other and saying your way is wrong. And then we can all get more things done for the kingdom than we could on our own because we kind of make up for each other's weaknesses or, or whatever. Yeah. It's actually really unique, man. There, there was so much to unpack in this that I kind of found my, found myself coming in here, like not really knowing what to say because there was multiple things that I was, I was working through. Uh, and then it's funny just to hear you talk about it. Cause I'm like, well, it's not often you get to like pick your brain, you know, like pick the person's brain who was up there talking, you know, like <laughs> some of the stuff that some of the stuff that uh, I think you were, you were kind of pointing out really struck me in, in today's world, like the things that we're dealing with and, and was that intentional, Bobby, you know, like <laughs> that was kind of one of my thoughts I had, like, you know, you had an overall message, but then there was, there was parts where, you know, you could see, you could see Jesus almost kind of doing something that went against the social norm, you know? And I was like, huh, never really, never, I don't, I don't know if I would have saw that if we wasn't going through what we were going through right now in America, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of the um, religious people in Jesus day who were looking forward to a Messiah, 
one of the one of the problems that they had with Jesus is they were expecting the Messiah to come and cleanse the temple of the Gentiles. Like they, they were expecting, you know, we're going to get the Messiah and he's going to restore Israel. And it's going to be like ethnic cleansing. He's get, and so Jesus comes and he does the opposite thing. Yeah. <laughs> he's he, there. And so you can see if, if that's where they're coming from. And then Jesus shows up and it's like, wait a minute, you're saying we're the bad guys, <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, he, he does the, the complete opposite thing, which they shouldn't have been surprised about because again, like he's, He's fulfilling these Old Testament prophecies. So yeah. yeah, they missed it. They missed they missed the message of but but I can get why they missed it because if you have a yeah. temple built with a court, um, and, and you've established the most holy places, place where only certain people can go, and then this is a court where only you know, this is where as far as women can go, and this is as far as Gentiles can go, then then I think it's a natural progression to say. Well, if God's going to exclude them from his temple in these ways, then in our life, we should also exclude them in these ways. Yeah. But over and over again in your, your sermon, you picked out the biblical passages. It was hearkening back to in the Old Testament of like at the same time that, you know, God had that established. He was still calling people to be kind to the foreigner, to be um, to give to those in, in need, those in, oppressed. And so it's not. It's not as A or B easy scenario. It's it's you like take a look at the message that God is saying throughout the whole Bible, and don't miss out on that because it did. It came, it came as a big surprise to them. But Jesus was always doing that. This is like why I love learning about the New Testament books still, and and Jesus doing things of like if you think Jesus was going to save you from the oppressors then it's totally backwards for Jesus to say, um, okay, you know how you already have to carry a soldier's pack for one mile? Carry it for two. But that's not yeah. that's not what you're expecting. It was like, no, Jesus, we're not supposed to carry it at all, right? It's like, no, carry it for two, but that will get him in trouble. It's like this, this secret subversive kind of way of like really getting to the heart issue of things. Mm. And, and exposing people in, in ways that weren't like, oh, that's obvious. Yeah, that's that's a cool part of the testament. And this, and and you're right. Like this was Jesus going in, and like he was kind of violently protesting. <laughs> if you exactly. think about it, exactly. he took a whip. Yeah, two people yeah. and animals. Yeah. it was. I mean, like I said, I think what was so. Um, just impactful for me while, while I was sitting there. And like, like I said, just that moment, that, that'll be one thing that I remember of a sermon for a long time. Like it's, 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 it's gotta be probably number one, but I just remember thinking like, okay. And then you were like, uh, you started describing everything that that's outside of our sanctuary. And it's like, and then you, and then you said, which I didn't even see it coming, which I should have, but you were like, now if Jesus came in here, what would he do? And then you mentioned something about throwing a, throwing the uh, iPad, like it would make a good Frisbee or something, <laughs> which, which the, like, but I, I didn't even catch the joke. Cause I was just like, Oh crap. Like I'm out there. Like if he showed up, like if he showed up, I'd be like, man, I didn't know. <laughs> like, I just, I didn't know that we were, we were set up in this way. And, and I think, I mean, I know that you wasn't making the point, like we need to change everything out there, you know, something to that extent, but still though, it was just like, man, if we were doing that and, um, you know, another, just another layer of that for me is 
since spending time as a connect director, one thing that's been really hard for me is um, not getting not getting fed like I was, like being able to to come in and get the full worship experience, get to you know settle in and get rest and take a breath um, before the sermon, you know, before God's word is being preached, and um, I miss it, you know, like I, I miss it a lot to be honest, yeah. you know, for for just if we're just on here talking, but at the same time, it's great to serve this other elements that I do experience that I wouldn't be able to, but to think that, to take my experience and then say, this would be the outer room. Like this would be everyone's experience out here. Like you said, the noise, the distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like it was, it, it meant a lot in that moment. So like I said, I'm still unpacking a lot of it, but it's a couple of layers right there. If Kristen were here, she would be the first to tell you, it's been years since we've been able to like, worship together just like normal because that's what you you give up when you're working for the church or you know you're you've got tasks on Sunday and like we just can't show up and sit down and and worship and not have like duties and things like that um it's tough the the other thing so I think what's really important for us to see in this passage so many times I've heard and I've read this taught that sort of like what Jesus was doing was was just he didn't want us to have bring commercialization into the church and I do think that we need to be real careful about consumerism and commercialization of worship experience. But it's not, there's nothing that we're doing out in the lobby. Michael, there's certainly nothing that you're doing that's wrong um, out there. What he was mainly protesting was that was where the only place where other ethnic groups could worship. And they moved all that stuff out there. So they like they can't even have the full experience. It's like, yeah, I'd be real mad if I were limited there. Yeah, if they would have just made the outer court like, okay, this is the place where we have the animals and the money changers and stuff like that. But they didn't say, and also this is the only place where certain kinds of people can stay and worship, then then that would have been another matter. But it was it was that part of it, like this creating like this is if you're if you're not a, a full-blooded Jew, this is as far as you can go. And you know, I think one one way we can develop empathy is I mean, I can understand putting myself in their place. You have to remember, like, the Jewish people, like, they were conquered. Like, they were conquered by Rome. Um, and they endured all kinds of hostility um, against their, their person and their family from the Roman army and from, from Gentile people. And so it was sort of like a fight fire with fire sort of thing. And, and that's, like, that's where Jesus is so far above us. And, like, we need, I need his heart because... Um, you know, and Jasmine, you were saying a little bit about this too. Like Jesus, um, he, he says, go the extra mile with the the Roman soldier. Um, he does surprising things. Like he really asks a lot of us. He's not only freeing us, um, and he's not only freeing the, the person from oppression, but he's actually demanding a lot from them too, in terms of forgiveness, grace, mercy. And that's hard. That's hard to do sometimes. Yeah, the point that you'd brought up about, what was it? Like, imagine driving through checkpoints. I think you said Iranian checkpoints. Mm. Like, seeing strung up bodies. Like, that's something you see in, like, a Witcher video game. It's, yeah. like, the closest I have to that of seeing that in real life. Of Like, that, that'd be pretty freaky. Or, like, not, not too far from still the Israel-Palestine conflict and like there's there's still checkpoints and there's still conflict between those two groups. Yeah. Um, so that 
that was like a really quick point in your sermon, but it lingered. It was a thought that lingered with me. Um, and, and it makes sense to me that the allegiances would be like, that's where you start to draw the lines. Like, I'm not like them. Um, this, this is who I'm with. I'm, and, and it's a little bit, you know, I'm exceptional in that I'm a full-blooded Jew. So I get to be with God. This is how he's going to save the world. Um, and that, that word allegiance kept coming up, which I appreciated because like I went to a Christian school really young where every day we'd stand up and we'd say, we'd say first the American pledge to the American flag. I pledge allegiance to the flag, and then we'd say that. And then you'd turn over to the Christian flag, and then you'd say the Christian pledge. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands, one brotherhood uniting all Christians in service and in love. And, you know, I, I can see the, the, good, um, the good sentiment behind that, and it, it sounds good because we do want Christian, Christians to be in one brotherhood, but to me, it still is really weird that we would equate one with the other in the same classroom, in the same five minutes, every single morning and make it a mandatory requirement that everyone had to stand up and say this. Because, you know, there are lots of countries <laughs> that worship God and we don't necessarily, Jesus didn't say like, you have to say the Christian pledge to be in the Christian brotherhood. Maybe that was a thing. Right. He wasn't developing that kind of nationalistic allegiance. It was, it was a, a way different style and he was undermining the main powers. So like, it's not Roman. It's not anymore. It's not Jewish. It's not American. It's not French. It's not Mexican. Like we, we are all following Christ now. That is the main allegiance. And you don't even have to make that like yes, here's our flag, here's our new country, here's our new, mm-hmm. like, that's not what he's going for. So yeah. that word allegiance, every time you brought it up, I thought like, oh yeah, I still remember the Christian pledge. I don't think I'd ever heard that either. Oh, learn something new every day. But yeah, his, like Jesus, <laughs> his aim like was so much bigger than what anyone expected and so much bigger than what we expect too. Like he's not just, this isn't like I'm establishing a new nation among a world of nations. Right. Um, this is like, I'm the king and I own all of it. And all of y'all are welcome in it. Like I want people from every nation to, to be in this family. Bobby, I, um, I had not had these two sort of separate stories like preached together in one sermon. Like I've never heard these two put together. And um, it's so interesting. There's almost like a tension in with between the two stories because you have Jesus coming in to Jerusalem on a donkey and they are proclaiming like Hosanna to the son of David. Like they're saying, this is who he is. And he's saying, this is who I am. So he's like establishing that authority. You know, he's writing in saying like, like people are, like you said in your sermon, they're laying down palms and like pieces of clothing. Like they, they are all in and like worshiping and praising. And they said, who is this? And the crowd said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Like this is, it's almost like you had built up all the prophesy and like, this is who we've been waiting for. So it's like that was established. And then what happens next? Jesus goes into the temple and does his thing. And I, it's, it's, it's almost laughable you know, that that's the next thing, 
that like it goes from that to him in the temple with a whip and i honestly up until this sermon did associate this this particular story with jesus just being angry about the consumerism in the temple uh, i just missed the part about what what was happening in the temple the exclusion of women the separation of the, the gentiles and and that that's just was huge for me in the sermon it just kind of opened my eyes like jesus establishes his authority like and he who else has the authority to go into the temple and to just disrupt it the way that he did and he's saying i like i do you know he has that authority um and so going back to what you said jasmine like bobby kept saying i pledge allegiance to our modest messiah and I've been thinking a whole lot about that and even the tension in the word, the word play on that, that you did, Bobby, modest Messiah. Um, like the Messiah is the anointed one, the one, the one we've been waiting for, but he's modest. He has every reason to not be modest because he's God's son. He is king, but he's modest. And, and that's who, that's who um, we should give our hearts to our allegiance to above all else. Like maybe we have loyalty to some other places, but our ultimate allegiance, our ultimate loyalty lies in him because of who he is. And, and just, he established that in both of these different, you know, different narratives that you just wove, had just beautifully woven together. I feel like in your sermon. Preach. <laughs> I agree. Who else could walk into the temple and restructure it that way? But him, he had the authority to do it. And this was how he was going to do it. Yeah. And, and that's like, it still bothers me a little bit in that, well, why would God exclude us in the first place? So if I had been there at that time, I wouldn't be allowed in. Hmm. Um, I, I've, and I've heard reasonings. Um, I've, like this, this was to show us like there were, there's a holy place and some people aren't allowed in because that's to show how like our sin keeps us excluded. But like, it's still at the core bothers me that had I been born back then, the most I could get in is that court. And that's the kind of experience I would have had of like, everybody's selling doves two for one that day. Yay. <laughs> Try praise, praise amazing grace or whatever while that's going on. Yeah. Well, how about thinking, I mean, one of the things that I was, when I was studying this passage that stood out to me the most was the blind and the lame. Mm -hmm. And the, uh, you know, I had never made the connection before to going back to second Samuel and David and the Jebusite King are trading insults. And from here, we get this saying, the blind and the lame cannot enter the house. And it becomes a saying and it, when something is a saying, I mean, think about it still today. We have, when it gets to the level of like, there's this proverb or something that everyone says about a certain kind of person that if that affects how you think of those kinds of people, you know, and you, and it, you objectify them. And so for a thousand years, for a thousand years, there's this, I mean, they're already, they have a disability. Like I would not want to be blind. Um, I, I would not want to not be able to walk. Um, but on top of that, to have everyone else treat you like a second class status and you don't really belong here for a thousand years. Um, and then Jesus comes and he, in, he intentionally invites the blind and the lame in and he heals them. And like, that's a, 
I mean, that's that's like some serious spiritual warfare that's going on. And he's doing it right in front of the Sadducees. And like, you guys, it's a new day. It's a new day here. Um, I'm, I'm a new kind of king. And they, and they get to see that, like the anger that Jesus has, the righteous anger about the injustice. Mm -hmm. And then they get to see the healing power of Jesus. And then... Um, that the children are the ones saying, um, call, you know, saying like, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. Like it's the children, not ever. What were the, what were the other people doing there? Were they just, were the adults just dumbfounded? Were they angry? Like, you know, and I just think again, just the irony that it's like, it's the children who are like, Hey, we know, like, we know who he is. Um, yeah, that, that stood out to me also just, the, the anger followed by the healing followed by um, his children and infants singing his praises or, or verbalizing his praises. They recognized it instantly. Um, yeah. I always always wondered like it's, this has always been curious to me like Timothy's Timothy's background and um, how relatable he seems to like just myself or a lot of my friends and things like that. Like Timothy raised by his his grandmother and his mother no father, um, interracial, you know, as far as that goes. And then, I, I, yeah, just listening to you guys talk, it just really made me think about Timothy. Uh, Timothy never had a word in the Bible, but he has two books dedica dedicated to him. And uh, you got Paul who like just really points out his authority or, or not necessarily his authority, but like his I'm like, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. Like there's no one in yet though. He's talking about Timothy like that. Um, yeah, y'all just, y'all just made me think about that. And that's always been something that I've, I've thought about, especially in like modern day times, or I've used it in like apologetics or something like that, where, you know, people want to, Jehovah's Witnesses want to <laughs> have those kind of conversations. <laughs> I, see the, I see them a lot on the street. So they're in their uniform, I'm in my uniform. <laughs> And I'm like, get off my block, bro. <laughs> get off my block. <laughs> but yeah, it's my hood. Uh, but yeah, no, like, it just, Chased yeah. Timothy, Timothy has always been, like, I don't know, just just somebody I would I would look forward to meeting one day. And yeah, I don't know. I just, I'm just going to stop there. I don't know why. Y'all made me even think of that, other than just the, everybody was stuck out in the courts. He didn't fit anywhere. Yeah, uh, and maybe and maybe I can relate to that a little bit. Maybe that's why it meant a lot to me. But then you got Paul, who's like, "No, y'all welcome him. Forget all of that crap. I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, there's no one greater than me." <laughs> you know, like big flex moment. Well, all those, yeah, Timothy, Priscilla, and Aquila, all those folks that we read about later in the New Testament, they wouldn't have been allowed past the court of the Gentiles. Right. They they wouldn't have gotten any further than that. Yeah, um, and they. They carry the gospel to the next generation and farther than you know the original disciples would have envisioned for sure one all over europe and asia and all those places the least the lowliest yeah because god could he could have come in jesus could have have come in with like trumpets and on a stallion i liked that point like not a donkey a war stallion yeah walk to the streets, claim the town, rally the troops, claim the next town, rally the troops, claim the next town, take it back. 
here's my flag, say my pledge, make Christianity great. He could have done that, but he didn't. Our example is him coming in on a donkey, the embarrassing, loud work animal. Mm-hmm. And then the people like don't even know who he is. I really appreciated your point on that. Of like, who is this guy? Yeah. Like, well, he's from worse than like not worse, but is like less known. Like he's from Paoli. Like, where's Paoli? <laughs> <laughs> like I've never even heard of this place. So And not only that, but he's not showing up <laughs> in anything yeah. remarkable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So um from Paoli with a with a tractor. Right. Like this <laughs> not not who you're gonna think of like this is our next leader. This guy. This guy's gonna make it happen for us. Mm-hmm. And and telling the gospel to people who normally would be totally excluded. Like that that helps a little bit. Old Testament's still hard for me though. Mm-hmm. I love the oh go ahead. No, you go ahead. Well, I, I was just gonna say I love cause she talked about the war the war horse and the donkey, but I, I loved how you started with that. Then we, I was just reading the Malachi just a minute ago because that, that was a point that I was like, I want to make sure I get back to that. And I just thought I didn't have time. So I sp- took about 15 minutes to check that out. And because it was just so, again, it's so modern to our day right now. Like in America, a lot of these conversations are being had and you cannot avoid that verse five, the Malachi three, verse five. And then you flipped it, uh, which this little part, this little part here is like, it, it scared me, <laughs> but it was like, for those who still reject the warning in our time and place, he'll return. And next time he will be riding a war animal and there will be no grace. Like a God with no grace or the God that I believe in cuts you off from grace. I mean, I'm with, I think, I think it's in Psalms. Maybe No, it's in, in Revelations. They're like, smash, bring this mountain on top of me. Like, let's, mm-hmm. Let me get out of here. You know, like crush me now because yeah. seriously, that's going to be a sight to see. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that read revelation, that war animal, he's coming down from heaven, the sword coming out of his mouth. Yeah. Uh, tattoo yeah. Jesus. So I said it. Tattoo Jesus. Yeah. That's, he's got a tattoo. It says so. It does. It does. <laughs> he's or at not least, you know, around. you take that metaphorically or whatever, but I like yeah. to think of it literal just for the fun of it. Tattoo Jesus. He's not playing around when he comes back. So, you know, let's give our lives to him now. And I think we've, we've talked about this before on the midweek checkup, but like he, he is, you know, almighty God, the son, he, he could have come in at any time in history to any group of people. He comes not only as a, as a, a Jew, this conquered nation in the first century, but a Galilean. Um, a baby. The, he, he comes to Nazareth, you know, like what good can come out of Nazareth? And they speak funny. You know, later on in the week, when when Peter denies knowing Jesus, like one of the reasons, one of the the things that they can tell Peter's lying is they say, "We know you're with Jesus. We can tell by your accent." Like they they made fun of you know these podunks from Galilee. Um, I think the way John puts it is, "We know you're a Galilean. Come on, man. Of course you're with Jesus." Mm-hmm. So like, can you imagine like this? We call it the triumphal entry. Um, but like, it must have seemed like the most ridiculous coronation for a king ever. Here's this guy, he's coming on a donkey, maybe it's he hawing or whatever. Um, you've got all these like poor people and, you know, orphans and widows and 
um, disabled people that are throwing their, their cloaks out and they're cheering and they all talk funny because they're from the hills. And, um, and can you imagine like just the, the citizens of Jerusalem being like, what is going on? Like, this is crazy. And this is the king. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's the dude. Yeah. <laughs> that's the dude. <laughs> Man. Yeah. Well, you know, I, before we go, I just also wanted to say real quick, um, just to give a shout out to a very much appreciated Rebecca Carroll, who wrote the liturgy this week. Um, so lit- sermon's only half the service. Liturgy is the other half. All the prayers, all the, the scripture readings we did. Um, she picked out a couple of the songs. Rebecca does a great job always and did uh, this time as well. I was glad to be able to sort of pair up with her because I thought the liturgy and the sermon re- went really well together. And then uh, also Julie Cordray, who leads the Affordable Christmas. She she led it for us last year. She's leading it this year. She l- has led both of our the summer academies that we do in the summer for getting kids ready for school. Um, so I want to give a shout out to them because they were a big part of uh, this past Sunday as well. Um, we got a lot of a lot of valuable members in our in our body. Thank you. Yeah, Lindsay, it looked like you were about to say something. Are you holding on to anything? <laughs> well, anybody else got anything? All right. Well, we'll end it, and next Sunday we'll continue on in uh, Matthew twenty-one. I blanked there for a second. We're going to learn a little bit more about this, this Jesus who has all authority. And the, the scribes and the Pharisees, Sadducees, they try to trap him, ask him a question. He responds with a couple parables. It's going to be great. Pastor Jonah is going to be back in the pulpit. So we'll see you this Sunday, and then we'll be back here on the midweek checkup next week. Bye.